How's everybody? Good? Grateful? Thankful? Isn't one of the unique passages in the Bible where it says, as Gabriel preached on last week, um, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. One of the unique things about being a Christian is that we're to give thanks in all circumstances. I know for some, for many, this has been a tough week. Politically, health-wise, economically, I could go down the list. We're all here in different places. And it's sometimes we look at our circumstances and we say, wow, it's hard to give thanks. But God's call on our life is to say, hey, there are bigger things at work here than who's president of the United States, believe it or not. There are bigger things at work here than our own health. There are bigger things at work here than resources. Because God is at work on the earth. God has redeemed us. God has freed us. God has seen who we are, and we are to give thanks. One of the things I've learned as I get older is that When I look at specific circumstances and situations, how do I give thanks for something that appears to be going in the wrong direction? Anybody struggle with that? Where you look at something and you say, that doesn't appear to be going in the direction I think it should be going. It doesn't even appear to be going in a godly direction. It appears that I'm under attack. Can I give thanks when I'm under attack? And one of the things I've learned is if you can't give thanks for when you're under attack, then you can't give thanks in all circumstances because that's one of the alls. How do we relate to that? How do we do that? How do we give thanks? I think it's a constant. When a tree falls on your house, Jack, can you give thanks? You're getting used to it. Just another day in the life of Jack Williams. Give thanks, because thanks will lead to living a life of giving. In Corinthians, Paul says this, <clears throat> each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what? A cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. <clears throat> There's this close connection between giving thanks Thanks in all circumstances and being a cheerful giver. We would separate the two ideas. And say, okay, I can give thanks in all circumstances, but I'm going to keep what I got. And I can be a cheerful giver, but that doesn't mean I have to be grateful in all circumstances. And God is saying, I believe in his word, that if we look at it closely, that thanks and giving are tied together. See how I did that? Clever, isn't it? Thanksgiving. <laughs> Thanks leads to giving. It is a part of who we are as a people. Now, look, I know as soon as I say giving, some people say, oh, here he goes. The pastor's going to talk about money in the church. You know, that's all I care about. It's whether I'm here and how much money I'm giving. That's not all I care about. 
I do care about it. I, I'd be lying if I didn't say. I mean, there's certain things in life, but it's not all I care about. As a matter of fact, it's way down on my list. Money. But we have so much more to give than just money, right? We have the gospel, the good news that we give away. We give away our lives. We give away our words. We give away our actions. We give away so much more when we serve. When giving is a part of who we are. As a matter of fact, we're called to be stewards of God's kingdom. Meaning God owns everything and we in turn in gratitude give, give our lives away. Now you can have, and I've spoken on this before, I just want to review because I know we have some new people here. There are a lot of different motivations for why we give. Whether it's words or deeds or money, whatever it is, there's a lot of different motivations for why we give. Some people give just because it's legal. they're told they have to. So like if I got up here and I said, look, you're now a Christian. You're a part of this church. God's word says tithe 10%. Tithe 10%. You're supposed to tithe 10%. I could take you through the scripture passages and talk about robbing God and tithing and how you're supposed to and how it's 10%. By the end, I could get most of you to get your checkbooks out or give online because you're going to feel, you're going to feel guilty if you don't. It's, it's like legalistic, I have to do it. And there's this level of giving that says I have to. I have to do it. Now, when my kids were little, there are certain things um, I told them they had to do. You have to do You have to clean your room can't go outside. You have to eat that food or you don't get any dessert. You have to do this or you don't get that. You, you understand there's a, a, a discipline that's raised, but if you live by legalistic giving or legalistic living, there's a lifelessness to it. There's a death to it. There's a guilt to it that won't lead you along. There's also another level of giving called moralism. Like it says in the Bible, um, if I want to reap a lot, I've got to sow. Sowing and reaping. And I want to reap. I want to live according to that principle, that moralistic principle that the Bible talks about. I want to reap, so I'm going to sow. That's why I'm giving. Or I see the need of the people around me. I, I feel a part of this church or this community or this society. So from a moralistic standpoint, I feel like I ought to participate. I ought to give. It's not a bad motivation. As a matter of fact, again, if I wanted to raise money, then I would really tap into this in your lives. I'm just being honest. I would preach on sowing and reaping. You want, you want more? You want more in your life? Then give. Because it's right there in the Bible. Sowing and reaping. Sow into the ministry here. Sow into the gospel. Sow into this because you will reap. And that principle applies. But again, I think it's short of God's plan for who we are. Because I believe we are called to be a relationship people. Everything that happens, happens out of relationship. We relationally give. Why do we give? Because we're thankful. 
Why do we give? Because it's an act of worship. You hear us say that all the time. We don't want you to give just because it's you have to. It's legalistic. We don't want you to give just because you want to tap into some hidden principle. We don't want you to give. We want you to a higher level of living, a higher level of giving. I, I, I want you to want to give your lives away, whether it's money or whether it's time or... Now, how do you know what level you're living in? How do you know if you're living in a giving legalistically or giving by a principle? Well, just start asking yourself some questions. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Listen, if you start asking questions like this, so I have to give 10%. Is that on the gross or the, t- or the net? Is that the gross or the net that I have to give the 10% on? Probably you're in the legalistic. Maybe if you start asking yourself questions like this. You know, it doesn't say anything about tithing in the New Testament. Never uses the word tithe in the New Testament. So should I, should I have to tithe? It's not in the New Testament. You're probably in the legalistic category as well. Because what happens is not only do you look at the passages that say I have to do something to be legalistic, you start to try and find loopholes about why you don't have to do something. Why you don't have to give. If you start looking at your circumstances around you and saying, you know, I need a better car. My house is starting to break down. You know what? I need to start giving to God. I need to start sowing and reaping. I need to start... You're probably in the moralistic category. If the only time your heart gets stirred to give or give your life away is when you think that the Bible is moralistically leading you in that place, then you're probably there. But if out of the overflow of your heart, because of your gratitude before God, you say, I can't wait to share the gospel with someone, rather than I have to share the gospel with someone. That's what I want to lead you to. Not me, really, but really the Holy Spirit wants to lead you to that place of living in relationship. It's a place of maturity. It's a place of blessing, really. It's a place of fruitfulness. It's a place of joy. I don't think you really find joy in the legalistic and moralistic categories as much as you do in the relational. Max Lucado, in one of his books, talks about a husband who wanted to learn to dance. So he got a book that he could read to show him how to dance. He read the book. He started memorizing the book. He cut out little feet and put them all over the floor so he could follow the footsteps of how to dance. One day, his wife came in. He says, honey... Sit down, I've got to show you this. He pulls out the book, holds the book up, looks at the steps, starts doing his dance. He finishes the dance and he looks at his wife and he goes, executed it perfectly. And she says something to the effect of him, yeah, you you executed it all right. You killed it. It's dead. And he goes, what do you mean? I, I did the steps perfect. And he goes, she says to him, yeah, but there's no music. There's no life. It's just steps. And Lucato says this. He says, we Christians are prone to follow the book while ignoring the music. 
We master the doctrine, outline the chapters, memorize the dispensations, debate the rules, and stiffly step down the dance floor of life with no music in our hearts. Dancing with no music is tough stuff. Jesus knew that. For that reason, on the night before his death, he introduced the disciples to the song maker of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. You see, we do what we do out of relationship, filled with the power and the presence of the Spirit of God, out of a heart of thanksgiving and out of a heart of gratitude, as well as worship. I want to look back in an Old Testament passage to kind of exemplify this with this background in our hearts from Exodus 35 and 36. Now, without going through the whole nation of Israel, history of the nation of Israel, you know that they were in captivity as slaves. God miraculously delivers them, and as they exit the land of Egypt, it says they exited Egypt, which was the most powerful nation on the earth at the time, carrying the riches of Egypt with them. They went from former slaves to free people. They went from poverty to wealth, all because God delivered them. They go through the Red Sea on dry ground to the other side. They receive the commands of the Lord. Moses meets with God. They they go into the desert. They start receiving manna. In other words, they get free food every day. God's presence guides them. He leads them. And he has told Moses back in Exodus 25 this. Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. God says to them, look, build build a tabernacle, a tent, a sanctuary for me. Not only will I guide them by the pillar of fire, pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day, I'll have my presence right in the middle of the camp, right among them. Now, there's so much. We've talked about the tabernacle and temple analogies in the past about the presence of the Lord and the personal work of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and among us. And he, uh, Jesus came and he, he's, the word became flesh and made his tabernacle his home among us. He dwells in us now. Not really the point, but the point is this. God has said to them, as a response, I want to be among you. I want to be your God. I want to be in your, I don't want to be a distant God. I want to be with you. So make a tabernacle and I'll be there. So Moses says to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, bronze, purple, blue, purple, scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat hair, essential oils. I don't know. It just the list goes on and on and on of stuff that he tells them. There are oils on there like olive oil and incense. A whole list of things that God says to them to bring for the building of this tabernacle. But the key phrase is this phrase, everyone who is, what? Willing is to bring to the Lord an offering. God doesn't want you to give out of compulsion. He wants a cheerful giver. From what I understand, the word willing here in the NIV is made up of two different Hebrew words. One of the words is without compulsion. In other words, because you want to. 
You want to give. Anyone who wants to is to bring an offering. And the second Hebrew word that goes here is the word for heart. A want to out of the heart. Because you have a heart for giving. Then give. Now, it would have been easy, wouldn't it? For Moses, the lawgiver, to say, here's the law. God says you have to bring this. Everybody, start bringing. You have to do it. He brought you out. Now you have to do this. You want God to lead us forward? You want more of God in your life? You want more manna? You want more stuff? Then bring this offering in and get more. No, he says, if you're willing to, out of a heart of willingness and gratitude for all those things God has done for you, the gold you have, that wealth from Egypt, God gave it to you. The fact we're here alive, God gave it to us. The fact that we made it through on dry land, God gave it to us. The, more, the fact that God's presence is here, God has done it. Out of a heart of gratitude and thankfulness, now give. Be willing to. See, I think there's a key here. I think the key is this, that when we give out of hearts of thankfulness and gratitude, we rest in a place where God's presence fills the whole thing. His atmosphere, he changes the atmosphere around us. He'll change your outlook on life. When you go out looking for opportunities to be a blessing, being willing to, not under compulsion, not because I tell you you have to, not because you feel guilty about it, not even because you think you ought to, but because you want to give your life away to the world around you, it'll change how you see things. It'll have an impact all around. You know how sometimes it feels like life just happens? You know, just random things seem to fill your day. Things with little or no consequence to anyone else. I mean, I know God's in control of my life, but I never really saw how much he was weaving my story with other people's stories, and really, into his story. Well, that's all changed. It was a cold day, the kind where you really don't want to have some long conversation outside with someone, especially with someone you don't really know. But that's exactly what God had in mind. Amy and I had just eaten lunch at Dumplings downtown Franklin, and we were walking to the car and we see this couple that I thought I recognized from church. It would have been awkward just to walk by him and not say anything, so we stopped and said hey and did the whole yeah, yeah, you guys go to fellowship thing, whatever. Well, we start talking and the whole Dave Ramsey thing comes up. They asked us where we were in the process and I told them that so far we paid off 60000 but still had $10,000 left to go. They asked us what we would do when we were debt free and I laughed and told them, well, I told my kids I'd buy them a trampoline, but we really wanted to adopt and we committed to being debt free before we did. The whole conversation only lasted about three minutes. It was like, nice to meet you. That was random. Well, the next day, that random person shows up at my office with this brand new trampoline. I couldn't believe it. It was like, my kids are going to freak. I set it up that night, and my kids jumped on that thing for four hours. I mean, we didn't even know these people. They didn't have to do that. I mean, really. That's pretty generous. Well, the next day, I get an email from the same lady saying, Oh, you guys seem like a sharp couple, and we'd love to come by and talk to you about something. I emailed her back and said, 
That sounds like a multi-level marketing proposal, and if it was, we really weren't interested. Of course, she says it's not that sort of deal, but she was really persistent. She even called Amy. Amy had been sick, and it really wasn't a great time to have company over. Our house is a wreck, and we didn't feel like picking it up. We said everything short of, please don't come over to my house. So they show up, and I'm like, here we go. Let's get this over with. Don't say yes to anything. I couldn't believe they sunk their claws into us with that trampoline to get us involved in some pyramid scheme. Anyway, so we small talked for about five minutes, and then right when I thought they were about to drop the bomb, they did. But it wasn't the bomb I was expecting. So the lady says, well, we told you we'd only be a few minutes, and I really don't know how to say this, but we want to pay off your $10,000 left in debt so you guys can adopt. She pulls out her checkbook and goes, how do you spell your guys' names? What? Are you kidding me? Are you for real? I mean, who does that? Who writes somebody a check for $10,000 and gives it to people they don't even know? So they give us a check and they said, just don't act weird around us at church and just don't tell anybody it was us. And they drove off. I mean, Amy and I stood there for 10 minutes in total shock. And we cried and we screamed and we ran all over the yard and the house. Unbelievable. I mean, seriously, it was beyond belief. We realized nine months later when we brought Malaya home, the check they wrote us was dated nine months prior to Malaya's due date. They gave us that money right about the time our daughter was conceived. It was like God was saying, I have a baby out there for you right now. I'm not waiting around another two years for you to pay off that debt. We felt called to adopt, but we simply couldn't afford to do it on our own. We found that this random couple had already adopted four children and felt a calling to continue to serve through adoption. Rather than bringing more children into their home, they decided to help others adopt. It didn't just happen. It wasn't random at all. God knew his plan. He had just invited us to walk with him through this process. He was weaving our callings, our stories together for us to love and to care for each other, to make a beautiful tapestry for his glory. Thank you, Jesus. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? I... I know so many stories like that here. Except that people don't want credit. As a matter of fact, that people don't even want to know. So I had to go out and find a video to talk about it, even within our own context. Because I know even in our own midst, we've had people give away, pay other people's debt, pay medical bills, give away cars, give away houses, give away just out of the need of the heart. And, and why? Not because I told them to. I didn't even know about some of these till much, much, much later. Because I believe that when we develop a heart of gratitude before the Lord, we don't look at what we get. We, get, we start to look at how can we give thanks and worship God by giving away. Living lives as generous, hilarious, givers. And again, if we limit this thought to money, then we're limiting ourselves. 
This is not just about money. It's about the gospel. It's about our acts. It's about our service. Now, you may say, that sounds pretty unbelievable, Pastor Bart. No one ever gave me a house. No one ever gave, well, maybe you weren't in that place of need at the time. It's hard to know how God works, isn't it? How he does what he does. And what's remarkable to me is that sometimes the people who gave away the most had the least to give. But they gave because like that lady with that alabaster jar who broke it over Jesus' feet and the perfume filled the house, it's, that was probably her only valuable possession. But she gave it to Jesus. And then the people around her condemned, said, what? Even his own followers said, we could have sold that, given it away to the poor. And Jesus said, what she did is going to be remembered throughout history because she's anointed me for burial. We don't know why we do what we do at times. We don't know at times how God's plan is at work. But when we develop a heart of thanksgiving before God, we'll do incredible things that could have eternal impact. So Moses says to the people, bring your offerings. So they bring it. And then the next thing you know, Moses puts together a couple of skilled workers. I like skilled workers, by the way. I don't know about you, but I like skilled versus the unskilled. That's me. You know, my kids, they thought it was time to change a light bulb. I had to call somebody in church to come help because my skill level was pretty low. I I can change my own light bulb. Thank you very much. (laughs) Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Holiab. Aren't those some great names? I've heard them pronounced every different way imaginable, and I'm not even sure how to pronounce them. And every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. Again, I like that. Who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So Moses gets the skilled workers together. They come together. They start building the sanctuary, the tabernacle, according to God's plans. The people keep bringing the free will offering morning after morning to the point that the skilled workers have to stop and say, we can't, we can't keep collecting the offering and building the building, the tabernacle, the tent. And so they go to Moses. They stop what they're doing. They go to Moses So the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work of the Lord that the Lord commanded to be done. The people are bringing so much, they're saying. They're bringing more than enough. And for the first time in the history of God's people, the leader says, stop giving. Maybe the only time in the history of the church or any other time. Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to... It's to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they, had already, what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Is that not an incredible story? Whoa, we got too much. Stop it. Stop giving. No more money. No more offerings. I haven't got to that place yet. <laughs> I have said that in church. 
But Moses did say, that's enough. Why did the people give all this stuff? Here's, here's what I would like for you to grab hold of, if you can, just for a second. And my, my sermon really has one point today, and that's this. When the nation of the Israel, nation of Israel walked in gratitude and worship and thanksgiving before the Lord, they gave like you can't imagine. When they became ungrateful and said, where's the water? Where's the food? Where's the, I hate this food. I don't like this food anymore. I don't think we can take the land. I don't think we, I don't like our leaders. I don't like Moses. I don't like this. I'm ungrateful. It was at that point that they were rebellious, under judgment. God didn't. There's something, and I don't, I don't know, I, I believe that the rebellion stemmed from an ungrateful heart. I, their lack of gratitude, their lack of looking to God, their lack of worship led them to rebellion, led them to verbally attack their leaders, led them to say, I want to take, I don't want to give. Where's mine? Versus giving away. And it's a position that I think that God says to his people all the time, hey, watch how you're walking. Give thanks in all circumstances because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Because in the place of gratitude is, is worship and it's giving your life away and it's doing the work of God. And in the position of ingratitude or ungratefulness, you're selfish You're open. You're exposed to the attacks of the enemy because you're no longer walking in the place of fruitfulness. Because I believe when we walk in thankfulness, when we walk in worship and we're giving our lives away, there's a fruitfulness that produces increase. Now, this is where the prosperity doctrine gets things all tangled up. In the sense of saying, look, I just want to be fruitful. I want the blessing of the Lord. I want to produce increase. I want increase in my life. See, do you understand what I'm trying to say here? Do you think? You're with me? That gratefulness and worship leads to a natural fruitfulness and increase. But maybe not even in your own personal life, but in the, in the sphere of influence that God has given you to manage. To be stewards. Don't you, don't you want to see that? I mean, God even commands fruitfulness. By how? How are we going to be fruitful? By staying attached to the vine. By living in a life of gratitude and worship. I think an ingrate, an ungrateful person, is one of the universe's most unattractive creatures. always wanting, always mad, always entitled, always thinking it's about here they are and here's the universe. Rather than saying, here's the God, the creator who's blessed me. How can I bless and work within the context of his kingdom? 
I think it also leads to blessings because it has and leads to a heart of worship. Out of worship, we receive the blessings of the Lord. And it also builds greater trust, greater intimacy. If this is all about relationship, then as I walk in gratefulness and thankfulness before the Lord and a heart of blessing, then then there's greater intimacy with the one who blesses. Listen, God is a a much better father than me. I'll give him that. Uh, He's a much better father than I am. But I can tell you, of my children, without naming names, they're not here anyway, but they may be watching online. Um, Of my children, the ones who were grateful for whatever we did in their lives versus those who felt like they were lacking and never getting enough, which of the two do you think in, in my fallen state I wanted to bless the more. I wanted to bless the grateful one more. I think gratitude just, it's, it's, a, it's a circle of gratefulness and heart and thankfulness. And it, it builds trust and relationship. Now, I didn't withhold from the greedy ones. Um, I, I gave them what they needed as well. <laughs> I'm just saying naturally, that's, but how, it's something working within God's and God's kingdom. Here's my encouragement to you. This is my one point of the day, and it's this. Live a life of gratitude. Give your life away. Because it's in living a life of gratitude that fruitfulness, blessing, trust will all expand. Don't get it backwards and say, I want fruitfulness, blessing, and trust. Therefore, I have to be thankful. Therefore, I have to give in order to get. Going back to the first slide of the day, that's not where I... Don't get it reversed. But when you do walk in this place of thankfulness, giving thanks in all circumstances for this is will, God's will for you in Christ, you'll be amazed at what God will do. The doors that he opens around you the coincidences that will occur in your life as you walk a life of thankfulness and worship before the Lord. I read the other day about a lady who went through heavenly donuts. She uh, was getting a cup of coffee and she drove up to the window and the person at the window said, hey, the guy in front of you just paid for your coffee. And she said, that's great. What a blessing. I'm so thankful. I want to pay for the people behind me. I said, great. And this person who was paying for the coffee didn't have that much money. She had just lost her job. She was barely being able to pay for the coffee. And the first thought she had was, oh, my gosh, I got paid for my coffee. I'm just going to move on. And she said, you know what? I'm going to pay. I'm going to, I'm going to live in gratitude by giving. Do you hear me? I'm going to live in gratitude by giving. So she paid for the people behind us. So basically she paid $12 for a coffee because the people behind her, a family, had ordered some donuts. A couple of days later, she went back to the thing, the Heavenly Donuts place. Guys said, and she said to them, hey, wasn't that great the other day that guy paid for my coffee and I paid for the donuts? And the person at the window said it lasted for four and a half hours. People paying for the people behind them. 
four and a half hours of people just... You, you never know when a small act of gratitude and thankfulness and giving will result in an explosion of blessing in the world around you. But I can tell you what very seldom gets blessed is greed and selfishness and inward looking. And you may be saying to yourself, I don't really have that much to be grateful for. Oh, yes, you do. Don't let your circumstances determine the level of your gratitude. Instead, see what God has done. You have thousands of reasons to be grateful before the Lord. Lord, I pray today that we will live lives of gratitude. Forgive us for our ingratitude. Forgive us for the ways in which we have limited even your release a blessing around us. Lord, we want to be like the nation of Israel who gave so much that the leaders said, had to say, stop giving, it's too much. But we don't want to be like the nation of Israel who looked at manna and said, we hate this stuff, we want real food. Instead, may we be grateful. May we not see our lack, but see the provision and blessing that you've given to all of us. Lord, I pray that fullness will be exactly as our name indicates, that we will live to the fullness of your joy. We will live to the fullness of worship. We will live to the fullness of worship. We will live to the fullness of gratitude, giving away our lives to the world around us. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We have an opportunity to give.